Go. <laughs> Open your Bibles up. Wow. Open your Bibles up. <laughs> Go. John chapter 6. I want to share with you a new study. I was telling Dave that, um, you know, you guys do Bible study. And uh, this is a good one to present in, a, uh, in any format, but specifically a Bible study format. Yeah, John chapter 6. Yes, well, we've been in Revelation for the last two years, but uh, been going back and studying in parallel uh, John chapter 6 and Revelation chapters um, 1 through 12. But I want to share with you out of uh, John chapter 6 here. Um, kind of want to introduce a little bit of the chapter to you. Um, John chapter 6 is a very pivotal chapter in the gospel uh, for a number of reasons. It marks out uh, kind of a weeding out point. It's kind of aggressive language, but it, it marks out a weeding out point among those who would follow Jesus. Um, at the end of the chapter, you have 5,000 would-be or self-proclaimed uh, disciples that turn back and no longer follow Jesus. Uh, so it marks out a weeding out point. And of course, that, that weeding out point begins at verse 60. Uh, Jesus, getting aggressive with them about what it means to be a follower, tells them the details of that. In verse 60, it says on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And verse 66 says, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And of course, he's left with 12 uh, some scholars suggest more, but he, of course, turns to the 12, and that's no, we know that's the specifics. Uh, there's about 120 in the book of Acts, so we know it dwindled down from, if you had to say 120, it dwindled from 5,000 to 120. So um, he gets really aggressive in this chapter. Now this is um, also marked by a very significant uh, miracle, chapter 6. It's the feeding of the 5,000 miracle. Uh, it's one of the few that are uh, given in all four Gospels. We know that the feeding of the 4,000 was a significant miracle, but it was not, it's not told in all four Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000 is. Uh, so it's a really significant chapter on a number of different levels. Um, we break in the chapter down into four basic sections. All of them uh, are, are basically uh, surrounding this 5,000 group. So verses 1 through 15 make up the first section, and that's the uh, 5,000 crowd that's fed. <coughs> Jesus feeds the actual crowd that's there, 5,000 people, first section. Uh, the details of that are given there for us. Verses 16 down through verse 21, uh, that's where the 5,000 crowd is rejected by Jesus specifically. The first time in the gospel, uh, they're going to make him king in verses 14 and 15. In verse 15, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew. So he rejects that, didn't want to be their king, runs away from them, hides up on a mountain until the middle of the night when he walks down across to the disciples on the boat. So it takes a miracle to get away from this crowd, which is really interesting. Verses 16 through 21. Uh, from verse 22 down through, it's a large section, down through verse 59 is the 5,000 crowd address, which is really significant because it's the first time in the gospel, a year and a half, where Jesus specifically addresses this group. That's a third section. Uh, 22 down through 59. The last section is verses 60 through the end of the chapter, verse 71, and that's where the 5,000 uh, the 5,000 crowd regresses. They just, uh, you know, they regress from following Jesus. They they no longer follow him, and uh, um, he's left with a small number. So that's the basic four sections. Um, the 5,000 crowd's been really significant uh, all throughout the gospel. They're mentioned for the first time 
back in chapter 2, and we're not going to go through these in detail. But uh, Jesus deals with this crowd for the first time in chapter 2, and he shows signs of, um, uh, I don't want to say disdain, that's really strong language, but he shows signs of hesitancy towards this group all the way back in chapter 2. In fact, it says in verse 24, Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew them. So he, he, shows, he shows distance or he shows hesitation towards this group all the way back in chapter 2. You go a, a little bit further, um, in chapter 4, he comes back into Galilee, which is of course this group, that's their, the Galileans, and he shows uh, hesitation towards them. He speaks it openly to his disciples. Verse 44 of chapter 4, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So before he ever gets there, he tells them, I'm telling you, they're not going to honor me. So he tells that to them. So it's really significant. Um, when you come into chapter 6 here, of course, he um, in verse 14 and 15, he literally runs from them. Uh, he has eluded them to such an extent that in order for, them to, for, in order for him to be their king, uh, they're going to have to take him by force, which is what they plan to do. They admit that he's the prophet, he's the coming one, but Jesus runs away from them. And then specifically... This is the first time in the gospel he addresses their issue in verse 26 of, cha- of, this, of the third section. It's in the third section where we're at. In verse 26, Jesus tells them, well, I probably should give you some content. They, he runs away from them, miracle to get away from them, walks out on the water, and he goes over to Capernaum. And I want you to note that all the conversation that's taking place is at a, a, glorified, a glorified church. He's at a synagogue. In fact, when you come down to end of verse 59... It tells us in this chapter, he said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So he goes across the lake after the miracle to, to, to Capernaum, goes into the synagogue and teaches there. This group wakes up on the other side of the lake in that morning. They recognize that he's gone. Verses 22 down through verse 24 give us all the details. There's boats there. They're trying to discern where he's at. And so they go across this lake in search of Jesus, 5,000 of them. Now, you understand they didn't have a love boat kind of thing. So it's all this armada of shipping, that ship, little fishing boats that hold anywhere from 15 to 25 people. They're all coming across. They find Jesus. And when they see him in verse 25, they say, Rabbi, which means teacher, suggesting that there is students. Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus says plainly to them, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you ate, uh, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. So the big deal of why they were after Jesus was not for Jesus, but what he could bring about in their life. They were using Jesus. Okay. So he really addresses that. And then he says in verse 27, don't work for food. Now that word work is really significant in John's gospel. It's the same word that's associated with the miracles of Jesus. So we're not talking about nine to five kind of work. They're not supposed to work for food. It's not a, it's not a, you can't twist that and say, well, Jesus is saying it's okay to just, you know, live at home and not work. That has nothing to do with what he's saying. It's the, it's the work that he's associated with the Father. It's the miracles that he does. He's, which has to do with an inward desire kind of thing. And Jesus says, hey, the inward passion desire of your life should not be given for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures. And so he criticizes their drive. And we have a whole study on this, which we're not going to get to, obviously, today. But what bothers me oftentimes is not that people don't go to church. It's that they can help from going to church. You know, um, It's not what aggravates me is not that people don't help out at the church. It's that people can keep from helping out. It's, it's not that people don't witness. It's that they can keep from witnessing. You know, 
It's that internal drive that we're supposed to have. Some people just don't have that. It's interesting. They have it about football. They have it about sex. They have it about that kind of stuff. But when it comes back to Jesus and what he's in kingdom work, well, that can, it's neither here nor there. Jesus addresses that specifically. He says, that's supposed to be in your life, man. You're supposed to hunger after that kind of stuff. So, we come down to what I want to talk to you about. It's in verses 28. It's a larger section for us, but verses 28 down through verse 36. And this has been really good for me. Um, one of the things that I've picked up, and it's a theme through the book, and it's a theme in our section, it's a theme in the chapter. One of the things that I've, I've been finding in my own spiritual walk is that very, very seldom does Jesus come to me and criticize something that I've done in the past. It's just, it's almost like, hey, uh, that was okay for a time. And maybe it wasn't okay, but that was something you were into for a time. But I want to bring you into a new thing. Um, in other words, I, I'm finding, I believe this, I've, I'm finding that there's no such thing as a plateau. There's no such thing as an arrival point in Christianity. There's a perpetual growth process that takes place, that, that has to take place. Uh, there's a several passages of Scripture where God has been into this new thing, and I wanted to kind of address those openly. But he is, this, this is not a new topic for, uh, in, in other words, it's not just a New Testament kind of thing. Back in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 43, and I'll just read this to you. Um, this is a new, a new passage that really was uh, huge for me. Of course, God's talking about this new thing that he's, he wants to do in the life of his people. And he, he comes to them and he says, and this whole passage in Isaiah is just really, really wonderful. But it's not that the law was bad. It's not that the sacrifices were bad. But even by the time you get to Hosea, God's like, listen, I'm not into sacrifices. Hosea 6.6 6 says, hey, I don't want burnt offerings. and I don't want that kind of stuff. and I'm not into that kind of thing anymore. It's like, that was okay for a time. It served a purpose, but I want to do a new thing. And the new thing begins at verse 24 in this passage. And it says, um, I'm sorry, verses 16 through 18. In, verse, in chapter 43 of Isaiah, Jesus says, or uh, God says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea. Now, it's interesting. Again, he, he goes back and he says, this is the stuff, this is the God that you know, the old stuff. Hey, made a way through the sea. All the Egyptian miracles that God commanded them to celebrate once a year so that they know exactly what he's talking about. Those aren't bad. They're commanded to celebrate those. And, but God comes and says, listen, I'm that God. Okay, I'm the one who made the way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforces together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, stuffed out, like, hey, this is who I am. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing among you. <laughs> Which is really significant. So God comes to the people and, and understand, and we can't go through this fully, but as you begin to go through the Old Testament, this is a perpetual thing in God, uh, with God as a people. He's constantly grabbing them and saying, oh, you've been great, you've done great, that's wonderful. Let me take you up a notch. I want to do a new thing in your life. And he does that in Isaiah, and he does that also, uh, one of my favorite passages is um, the Ezekiel passage after Jeremiah, chapter 36, where uh, God speaks... Hundreds of years before it happens, he speaks about what he's going to accomplish in Jesus. He says in verse 26, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you and, and cause you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, the new thing that I'm going to do in, in doing you is going to be an, an utter nature kind of a change. It's, it's going to be beyond activities. I want to do something in your life that has to do with drive and nature where you're going to have hungers that you never had before, longings that you never had before, things are going to turn you on that never turned you on before, changing likes to dislikes, that kind of stuff. So God has been in this pattern, Old Testament. He's in the pattern in the New Testament. One of the major themes, and we're going to talk about it down in verse 29, but one of the major themes throughout the Gospel of John is believing. It's strong. It's so strong. John, The whole book pivots around John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes. The word belief is used 98 times in 21 chapters in John's Gospel. It's used 98 times. Every time it's a verb. The noun, which is used several times in the other Gospels, with nothing wrong with it, it's absent completely from the Gospel of John. Which means that Christianity, faith in Jesus, is a continual trusting, acting, responding, new things are going to happen, he's going to stretch me, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be called to live on the cutting edge of change in my life, that God wants to do something brand new in my heart, and I'm going to have to trust him. Faith is, a, is an action in John's Gospel. Which is really significant. Now, so here, here's our passage. Let me read it for you. He's just addressed that, hey, you know, you're after me for other things other than me. Uh, verse 27, your drives are all messed up. Hey, come on, hunger, thirst. This is the kind of thing I want, this is the new thing I want to do in your life. And so they, they begin, in verse, and, and I'm just going to read and we'll go back and look at it, but verses 28 is where they begin and Jesus interrupts them. In fact, the whole passage we're going to look at is they ask something, Jesus answers, they ask something, Jesus answers. That's kind of how, how it unfolds. Verse 28, I'm reading out of the NIV. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never, thir- uh, never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. I want to go back and look at verses 28 29. They ask, Jesus answers. Now, the first thing they say is, and the grammar here, of course, you know, you, you're, you're, this group here, you're familiar with me and our word studies and that kind of thing. And, uh, the language, even in the Greek, is really difficult in verse 28. And it's, it's almost difficult to read in English. What, we must, uh, what must we do to do the works God requires? Now that language is really specific without going into some of the details. That language is specific and it's, it's almost illustrative of their culture in which they live. In essence, what they're saying, what does God want us to do? What does God want from me? What are the list of things to do? Now you also, and you know, it's really important to understand that we're dealing with first century Jews who have been raised up in the law. Um, in fact, 
what when you're dealing with there were I mean the the details of of what they need to do they measured uh, which was not necessarily a helpful thing but they they were to they they measured their right living according to what they did and what they did not do I mean that that they were steeped in that kind of thing um, Jesus even even in after miracles in all the gospels but specifically this one after he does a miracle he tells the people hey go offer the proper sacrifices he he modeled those things he showed up at the temple he did those kinds of things um, I find it significant that in chapter five and anyone who reads this gospel will have been familiar with this when they come into chapter six the whole issue that is surrounding chapter five Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And the big deal about, you know, the problem with that is it broke one of their traditions. So when you're dealing with a first century Jew and you're telling them to be godly, immediately they're going to say, oh, well, what do you want me to do? Hey, I've done this, I've done this. The whole rich young ruler scene. Then he comes up and says, he got this great teacher, Jesus, he's famous. Hey, all these, you know, miracles he's doing. He comes up and says, hey, I want to just affirm I'm going to heaven. And Jesus gives him, hey, you know what the law says, enlist that kind of stuff. We're going to deal with that tonight. It's really neat. But he lists that stuff. So one of the things that we need, uh, I would want to encourage you on is that when we're dealing with this group of people and they're saying, well, what do you want me to do? It, that's not a negative thing. That's, that's, a, uh, that, that's an honesty. That's a, hey, I'm willing. Hey, we're wide open on this. What, what do you want us to do? There's, there's even proper motivation in this. And Jesus does not criticize what they've done. What he does in verse 29, though, and this is so significant. He doesn't say, well, what you've been doing is bad and wrong and stop doing it. He doesn't do that. He says, that's great, but I want to introduce to you something else. God wants to do a brand new thing in your life. What you've done is fine. It's wonderful. It's great. It's served for a time. There's nothing wrong with that. But that level of things are no good anymore. I want to introduce a whole new deal for you. And what he says in verse 29 is, Jesus answered them. They say, what must we do to do the works God requires? What does God want me to do? And he says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And there's two. There's a couple things that need to be stressed. Number one, um, in verse 28, they say, what must we do to do the works of God? In other words, the list of things. Hey, what does God want me to do? Hey, i got to do these things to keep in line. Jesus says, that was old, that was law, that was tradition. It's not bad. But the new thing is one thing. It's one thing over against other things. And the one thing is to believe in the one he has sent. Okay, Get all wrapped up into me. Just, hey, dump that other stuff. Wasn't bad. And the new thing is I, I am to be absolutely, totally, completely absorbed and focused in your life. Now, this is not just... I wanted to share one little thing with you. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 10. This is not uh, a John deal. This introducing of a new thing that God wants to do um, is evident in so many places, but I chose this story because it was one of the early sermons that I preached and it's just a simple, I mean Luke just says it simply uh, in this passage, chapter 10, the uh, Mary and Mar- uh, you know, Martha and Mary kind of thing, verses 38 to the end of the chapter. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, and listen to the language Luke uses, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. They're not bad preparations. Hey, not that kind of thing. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
Jesus is like, Martha, Martha, good night. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary chose him what is better. You see, it wasn't a right and wrong thing. Mary, and the difference in the passage is not, okay, what are you saying? And I need to not work and sit? No. The issue is, is Mary is getting in on the new thing. Martha is not. It's, you know, it, it has nothing to do with duty. It has nothing to do with church attendance. It has nothing to do with, you know, well, I've been so faithful. That's not bad. It's, that never will be bad. We, you know, we don't take our plaques off the wall and say, well, that wasn't what we should have been doing. And that's, that's not the issue. The issue is Martha is not into the new thing. Mary is into the new thing. Mary has embraced. Mary is, hey, I want in. Mary, I, I want this to take place. Martha's not bad because she's working. It isn't bad, but she got distracted and she's not into the new thing. That's really plain. So the first half of this section uh, of what we're looking at, 28, 29, is the new thing. They say, hey, it's the, it's the work over against the works. It's the new thing. What you were doing is not bad, but I want to introduce a new thing to you. Now, <laughs> typical of church people, this is what they say in verse 30. Okay, they say, you know, um, hey, we're open to that. But they ask for a sign. Now, before we even get into this, you need to understand that signs are not bad. Uh, back in the Old Testament, you can go specifically. All the major heroes of the Old Testament received signs. Even Moses received signs. Um, Gideon, Moses, David. I found it significant that Jesus not only gives signs, in fact, there's seven or eight signs in the Gospel of John, which he's constantly giving. But he, so he not only gives signs, Jesus receives signs from the Father. Uh, there's several in many Gospels. Uh, and he tells the disciples, let this be a sign to you, and talks to them about signs. But in uh, John chapter, um, and by the way, chapter 6 is a sign. Chapter 6 is a sign. And by the way, it's interesting that chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, is an old sign. God fed in the wilderness. Jesus is still feeding. So it's not, the, it's not even, well, old signs are bad. You have to have new signs. No, I've heard that all my life. Well, God's into giving signs, but oh, he won't do the same thing twice. He did with Jesus. He did with Jesus. In fact, the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. So it's not like, well, it has to be new signs. We're not into the old. We're into the new. It's not what we're talking about. See, the, the sign deal, and what I was going to tell you about Jesus receiving a sign is back in chapter 12 or forward in chapter 12, Jesus receives this sign. It's like it, he stumbles upon it. you got these Greeks that come in chapter 12, and this is right towards the downslope at the end of the book. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and, and with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, and Jesus says, the hour has come. So evidently, that was a sign in the life of Jesus. So signs aren't bad. So in, what I'm saying to you in verse 30 is when they come to him and say, we want a sign, you can't say, oh my goodness, look, at they're not faithful. That's not true. Signs aren't bad. Signs aren't. What makes this sign bad is, again, it is a refusal of accepting a new sign. What, they want, what they're doing is they're coming to Jesus and how often I, as a 35-year-old evangelist, have heard this. We want Jesus to speak in the way that he always spoke to us, and we're not interested in any new speaking. Do what he did. In fact, I've heard it, this is so typical in our denomination, obviously, not your church, 
but in all the other churches in the world. It's really, it's really interesting that the way we define revival is the way it used to be. Oh, people run the aisle. We don't do that anymore. So obviously revival hasn't come. You know? Oh, revival was, and, well, well hey, and, and, revi- and, and godliness. Well, wearing this kind of clothing. And these teens start wearing those, so they're not. See, we, we, it's not that, that, that oh, so your son, that clothing's bad. No, you could even still wear that clothing. You can still sing the songs you want to sing. We're not against that kind of stuff. It is a locking down, a, a refusal to accept anything new. It has to be the way that this is this kind of deal. And that's, that's representative in their, in their language. Verse 30, that, so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see and believe? But hold on, Jesus. Let us help you with the sign. What will you do? For instance, our father ate the man in the desert. As he, it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Hey, that fit the sign. We're all kind of hungry anyway. Hey, you did the thing last night. Do it today. Just like Moses did. They go back and reference. And Jesus says, hold on. It's not bad. Feeding the deal and the sign's not bad. Let me introduce to you a new thing. He says, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, hey, man, that sounds good. Give us this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread who's come from heaven. I am the new thing. I am the new nourishment. Now that bread from heaven, we're going to flush out later on the chapter where he gets specific about it. But for now, it's the thrust of a new thing. The, I'm, we're not doing that anymore. I'm not going back. Hey, this was, this was not bad for its time. Moses was not bad. Hey, he appears in the transfiguration, but we're, that's old. We're not embracing that. God wants to bring about a brand new thing in your life. Now, this is so significant. Um, just, I wanted to share this with you because as God began to do this in my life, I begin to, it's like all kinds of passages begin to make sense to me. For instance, there's this passage in Luke. And by the way, the Martha... And Mary deal, the new thing in Luke, that began to make more sense. But the whole book of Luke began to kind of come into perspective, uh, especially the rich young ruler scene. See, it all, I hear so much that people talk about the rich young ruler as being bad because he's rich. That's not true. And they twist the eye of the needle kind of thing, and it's possible for him to no, know that's not what the eye of the needle was. That's, see, that's not the whole deal. The problem with the, with the rich ruler was not what his is keeping of the law because he did keep the law and Jesus said, okay, that's not bad. But the, the, what condemned the rich young ruler, which is so aggressive for us in this room, is the rich young ruler would not allow, would not be, not respond to a new thing that God wanted to do in his life. Listen to this. Certain rich ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do? Again, it's back to, hey, what Old Testament, old mindset, what do you want from me kind of thing. Jesus says, first off, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God alone. And by the way, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Nails those things. That's, hey, that's, that's good and acceptable. That's not bad. Jesus mentions that. We're not tossing that out. This guy says, all this I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, this is so neat, you still lack one thing, new thing. <laughs> Sell everything you have and give to the poor. You have great treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Here's a new level. He comes seeking, which is wonderful. He comes seeking and God's obviously prompting this guy. And God's saying to him, you're not bad, you're not evil, but I want to, try, I want to, I want to take you up a notch. Jesus says, this is the notch. The guy says, and that's sad. Oh, I want you to move. But you better not change anything in my life. <laughs> you know, oh, I want you to move. But it better look like the way it's always been. Um, 
we've Dave and I have talked about this, and I have talked about this for the last year. There are significant um, some of the significant things we've seen this last couple years is uh, well over the last eleven years in evangelism, I've seen trends. Uh, some of the trends that I see uh, is that there are periods of opportunity where it seems like the, it just seems like the time is ripe in a church where pieces of the puzzle are somehow coming together. There's fresh, fresh blood, there's f- fresh insight, there's, a, there's an excitement, there's just, it's, everything seems to come together and God wants to do a new thing and wants to take that church to a new level. Now I've seen that where a church responds and they just, then it's wonderful. And then I've seen where that church says, it gets too risky. They don't want the new thing. We like it the way it is, that kind of thing. And I'm, I believe this, those periods of opportunity from experience, don't come around very often. Um, I, can't, I don't want to give you the name of the church, but there's a church that you know I've been at a few times that was a branch off of another church. Borderline split kind of thing. But the pastor didn't go with that new church. and um, This church was running 600. And God was doing neat things and they wanted, I mean, there was all this new opportunity and it had to do with the Spanish ministry combined with some some outreach to the younger adults and the people just went bananas. And it was over stupid stuff like Sunday school. Oh, you hate Sunday school. No, I don't hate Sunday school. I love Sunday school. But they wanted to change it. And the people went bananas on that kind of thing. And, you know, they wanted to do some new stuff and... And, and keep the consistency with the message. And, and, and that whole thing just fell apart. And that's just one example. It wasn't, well, they didn't, the Sunday school issue broke them. It was worship music. It was Sunday school. It was all of these new kind of aggressive, let's reach our community. And they weren't into the Mexican ministry, the Spanish ministry. And that church is running, they, I mean, used to run 500. They're running in like under 100 now. And a whole group of that church left, which, and again, all that got ugly, and they planted a new church, about 30 of them, and they're running now 250. And they're doing new things. But what's interesting is even now, I was talking to the pastor recently, is there's, God's wanting to do some new things in their church. And the moment that we begin to say, no, there's there's repercussions in that kind of thing. And so, um, I I don't ever want to get to a place where I don't allow God to do a new thing in my life. Because I'm under the impression that he's moving and, and working in me, and we're getting ahead. And we've 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 survived the CJ era, and uh, I'm under the impression that when we get a, a little another little baby in the house, God's going to want to do a new thing, and it's going to be bigger than just CJ and the baby. It's going to it's going to be how we function together as parents, how we function together as being married, um, the travel. I mean, it's. I'm, I'm thinking that God's constantly keeping me in a place where He's stretching me and growing me and bringing me into a tighter intimacy with Him. So uh, the application to the study in my own life has been, uh, am I resisting the new thing that Jesus wants to do in my life? And you can't miss that. In other words, you can't say, well, I don't really know what new thing you want to do. That's not true. We all know it. God wants to do a new thing. And it's going to be stretching. It's not that the old stuff was bad. It's just that, hey, I'm not in the old stuff anymore. I'm going a whole new deal. We're going we're gonna to break this thing out. We're going to stretch. We're going to be. So, let it be so, Jesus.